0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. morning. You guys need some more coffee? (laughs) Hey, welcome to River Ridge. Uh, My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to share with you this morning about some different things. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 12. That is where we will be uh, this morning. Um, If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can actually get on the River Ridge app and click that, and you can open up to a Bible there. Uh, And if you don't like any of those options, It'll be on the screen behind me. So, this morning we are finishing up a three week series which is called Dollars and Cents. And over the last three weeks, uh, we've been looking at this question of how do we have financial peace in our lives? How do we gain financial freedom in our lives? And, you know, as I talk to people over the course of this series, just really just in life in general, everybody that I know wants to have financial peace in their lives. Everybody they know wants to have an amount of financial freedom. None of us, I've never met anybody that says, I love paying 28% interest on my credit cards, you know. I've never met anybody that goes, I love paying 8% interest. I don't know anybody that loves to pay interest. The only thing we get excited about is like, I have a low interest rate, but that's still money towards the bank and you're not actually getting what you buy with it. You know, I've never met anybody that says, you know, I like having a car where I owe more on it than it's actually worth. Never met anybody like that. I've never met anybody that says, you know what I love about my wife? I love to fight with her with money, you know? Never met that, right? And those are all those things that can cause us some financial stress in our lives, You know, I've never met anybody that says, you know, I want to make sure that I have to work until I'm 85 years old. Nobody wants to arrive at, you know, older age and not have any retirement, not have any savings set aside. You know, one of the things that often pushes us over the edge financially is when we have an unexpected expense. You know, something happens, the car breaks or the furnace breaks or something like that, and it's like, oh my goodness, where am I going to get the money for this? You know, and that's the stuff that causes us this financial angst, this anxiety, but what we're talking about over the course of this series is how do we live with our finances? How do we make sense of the dollars that we have so that we hit those crisis points and we're okay? And that's what this series is about. And what we've found, and we've, each week we've talked about a principle, and what we've found is that when you apply these principles to your life, then the result is you have financial freedom. You have this financial peace. But when you don't apply these principles, when you don't apply God's principles, then you end up with this financial anxiety, this stress about finances. And so what we talked about is let's put these into practice so that we have this peace about our finances in our lives. So the first week, we talked about financial freedom, uh, and it was tell your money what to do. Tell your money what to do. We talked about living on a budget and, and having a plan for how you're going to spend your money. And one of the things that I've said, and I don't think I said it the first week, but I've said it from time to time if you've been around, is I say, sort of joking, sort of not, is that Stacy and I fight about money, but we only fight about money once a year. That every January we go on a budget date and we fight about money. How are we going to spend our money? Where is it going to go? We're going to save here. We're going to put money towards a car there. We're going to buy this or that. And we fight about it once a year and then we, you know, live it out for the year and keep track of it. Um, and it saves us fights. For example, it saved us a fight uh, just yesterday. So Stacy went to Southridge uh, to drop some kids off and also run some errands. And if you've ever been to Southridge, you know that there are like 40 gazillion places to spend money in Southridge. So she spent some money. So she comes back and she puts on the counter these colorful things that I don't really think that we need in our house, but these colorful things. Sometimes she'll go out there to Southridge and she'll buy these colorful things that she puts in the front yard, which I also don't think we need, right? Well, and then I don't mind the color, but here's what happens. These colorful things, like 30 days later or less, they turn brown and they die. They're called flowers. I don't see the point of them. Like, they're pretty today, they're dead tomorrow. Why do we buy these year after year? I don't get it. But we only fight about that once a year in January. So she comes home with the flowers, puts them on the table. I say, they look pretty. We don't need them. No, I didn't say that. I said, they look great. And so, but here's the thing is, we have a budget for home decor. We have a budget for a lawn and garden. And so if there's money in the budget, she can buy senseless flowers if she wants or something useful for the house. I'm, I'm, you're glad you're not married to me, and sometimes she is too, but... My my point is this: is that when you live on a budget, it really helps so much fluidity of your life and relationships and so forth. I heard a guy this week um, as I was listening to some stuff about money in preparation for the sermon. He says this about keeping track of your money. He says you got to know, you got to be knowing where your money is going. I'm like, I can remember that. You got to be knowing where your money is going. All right, here's the second principle we talked about is learn to be financially content. And so last week, we talked about how we live in the land of er. We live in the land where everybody, we look around the houses, and that person has a big er house, and that person has a nice er car, and this person goes on fancy er vacations, or they go farther away, or their kids are involved in more er activities, and more well-rounded er, right? Right? And so we look at that, and so we're like, I want that. I want to spend that. And we have this Ur sort of thing because we live in the land of Ur. The other thing we talked about is that we have this fear of missing out. That The whole advertising marketing world throws at us these pictures and images all over and over and over. If you don't have this type of thing, you're going to miss out. If you don't go on this type of vacation, you're going to miss out. If you don't have this type of car, you're going to miss out. If you don't have this type of, you're going to miss out. And so it's hard. We've got to consciously work against that. And so the principle was learn to be financially content. Learn to be content with what we have. But key word there is learn. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that you heard the sermon and you go, oh, now I'm content with everything in my life. No, it's about learning. It's a process. Paul says, I have learned to be content even for the Apostle Paul in the Bible, it took him time to come to have a place of contentment with his material stuff. So those are the first couple weeks. We're going to talk about a third principle this week. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship, to be together, to see friends. Um, But Lord, thank you for what you're going to teach us in the coming minutes together from your Word. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would show us what you want us to know, what you want us to understand and how you want us to act and live as a result of what we hear and what we read in your word. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So we're going to look at the principle in a second. We're going to get to it in a few minutes. But here's a question I want you to kind of think about in your head. I want you to think about what are all the different things that you put money towards? What are all the different uses of money? So some of the uses of money are about the things that we spend money on. You know, you can spend money on clothes. You can spend money on food, either at a grocery store or you can eat out at some place. We spend money on stuff. You know, we can save money, right? We can save money for retirement. We can save money for a rainy day in case something happens. We can save money for our children's education, right? You know, we can also buy big things, like we can buy a road, right? And that's called paying your taxes, right? Or you can buy an army, right? That's also paying your taxes. You can buy a politician, which is called bribery or, you know, paying your taxes, either one there. But those are all things that you can spend money on, right? You can give money, right? You can give money to other people. You can give money to churches. You can give money to organizations. Um, uh, Here's something else that we spend money on. You got to think about this for a second is we can buy time with our money. We can buy time. So I can pay somebody to clean my house, and I have bought time because now I can spend time doing something else, right? And my house looks nicer. I can pay somebody to do yard work, right? I have now bought time. I don't have to do the yard work. I can do something else, and I've also bought A better looking yard. So there's all kinds of things that we can buy and spend money. We can invest money. We can invest money in the stock market in hopes that it grows. So as you think about what we can use our money for, I want to give you five categories and see if this covers everything. So first thing is we can do is we can spend money, right? So we can spend money on ourselves, right? I think we've got a slide for this. The second thing that we can do is we can repay debt which is basically spending money on myself that I spent, you know, last week or last month or last year or last decade, depending how much debt you have, right? I spent it on myself. I can pay my taxes, which is sort of about me. It's like we're all Americans together. I benefit from it. I can spend money uh, saving, right? I can save money, and that's basically spending on me in the future, and then the last thing I can do is I can give money away. I can give it to God. I can give it to God's work to other, or to other people, right? But if you look at these, what's at the heart of all five of these ways that we can use money? Spend is me. Repay debt is me from, last, from yesterday. Pay taxes, that's America. Save, that's me in my future, and then give to others. And that's the way that a lot of us think in terms of spending, of those categories. And those are good categories because that's probably much how everybody spends their money in one of those five different places, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a parable this morning that Jesus tells. And he tells a parable, and he tells a parable about a guy who kind of got those categories out of order. And Jesus tells the story to teach us about how do we order, how do we prioritize the money that comes into our pocketbooks, into our bank accounts. So open up to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And as we look at this, I want us to see, first of all, to see the context that we're going to start down in verse uh, 13. But what comes before this is that Jesus is giving a talk. He's giving a sermon. He's talking about a number of different uh, kind of topics. He's talking about the importance of being true to who you are, about not faking you. Don't be this person here or that person there. Be authentic in who you are. He talks about not having fear. He talks about not being fearful of people kind of um, getting on you about your faith. And then he has this great part that he talks about being led by the Holy Spirit and hearing from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will teach us. So we would listen to those things, and we'd say, those are good things. Those are helpful things for us to know in terms of what God would want for us. So he's in the middle of this sermon, and some guy raises his hand, or maybe doesn't raise his hand, but he says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he interrupts it, and I kind of picture this guy having a whiny voice for some reason. Jesus talking about important stuff. He says, ah, oh, Jesus, tell my brother to uh, divide the inheritance with me. I didn't get enough, right? And I don't, it doesn't say what the issue was. I mean, maybe that, that, the other guy got all the cows, and he got the goats, and he wanted the, you know, maybe they didn't divide it right. Maybe he got cheated out of like 5% or 10% or maybe a whole lot of it. But here's the interesting thing about this guy and getting cheated out of this money. Is this is how much of this money did he earn? None of it. Right? This is an inheritance that he's complaining that he doesn't have enough of. Right? He's got some money issues. And then what we're gonna see as we look at as we look forward is that Jesus is gonna answer this question that this guy brought up, and he's gonna answer it in a way that will make sense for all of us. But before we go and look at his answer, I wanna just briefly go back to what we talked about maybe four or five weeks ago. Uh, If you remember, we talked about parenting. Modern Family was the name of this series. And one of the things that we talked about is using teachable moments. When our kids ask a question, when something happens, we stop, we gather our kids, and we say, what do you learn about God? What do you learn about yourself? And this is Jesus having a teachable moment. Somebody raises their hand, asks a ridiculous question, and Jesus says, Let's use this as a teachable moment about understanding money. So it says this, verse 14. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want us to see two things in these couple of verses. The first is this. Is he says, be on your guard against all kinds or against all covetousness. Covenant, another word for that is greed. And if you have a different translation, it may say greed. But Jesus says, be on your guard against greed. He heightens that particular sin of greed or covetousness. And here's why it's because that sin of greed is really hard to see in ourselves. It's almost impossible to see greed in ourselves. We can see other sins a whole lot easier than we can see that. You know, the the sin of adultery, that's very easy to spot. Nobody goes, oh my goodness, you're not my wife. I had no idea, right? Like we know when we commit that sin, right? But greed is like, well, how do you know if you're being greedy or not? How do you know if you are committing that sin of greed or of covetousness? And so that's why Jesus says, so you need to be On your guard, look closely. That's every one of us in this room. Look closely and ask the question, is there greed in my life? And how can I be sure? How can I make sure or guard against greed or covetousness coming into my life? And then he says, and life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life is not about the stuff that we acquire. And, you know, we know that. We know that life is not about stuff. There's so much more to life than just how much stuff do we acquire. And I mentioned this last week and and stumbled on this picture this week, but no one dies and then takes stuff with us. You know, we don't ever see this picture of a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. Like, that just doesn't exist. You don't take your stuff with you, right? Life doesn't exist. Life isn't about the abundance of our possessions. So Jesus tells this parable. And he said to them, excuse me, uh, verse 16, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? So here's what he says, right? He said the, the situation is and Jesus is telling a parable to make an illustration. He says there's this guy, and for whatever reason he has a bumper crop, just tons and tons of crops, and so he says... I've got all this extra. I've got all this abundance. I've got all this stuff, money for I mean, we would say that's money, but for him it's the grain. He says, "What should I do with it?" Now here's what's really interesting. if you've been a part of the series, or if you remember back to five or 10 minutes ago, that we talked about three, we' talked about two principles so far. And this man, actually, as we'll see, puts into practice both of the principles that we've already talked about. The principle from the first week is, "Tell your money what to do. Tell your money what to do. And the man in this parable says, what shall I do for I have nowhere to sow my crops? So he asked the question, he says, what should I do with all these crops? He's asking the question, where am I going to spend my money? And then it goes on in verse 18, he says this. says, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So here's the other thing that's interesting. He in this, as as he puts together this plan, he's also put into practice what we talked about last week, is learning to be content with what you have. Because what he does is he doesn't live in the land of Ur. He doesn't say, wow, I have all this grain. I'm going to go buy a big-er buggy. I'm going to get a fast horse. I'm going to get more-er cows, right? He doesn't do that. What he does is he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save up for the future so that I can eat, drink, and be merry. And my life in the future is going to be totally taken care of. That's what I'm going to do with my money. But the problem is that he's missing an incredibly important aspect of what God wants. It says this in verse 20. It says, so is, the, uh, I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 20. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He says, you have made a grave mistake. You have been foolish. You have not spent money the way that you are supposed to spend money. You know, his life goal was to accumulate stuff. But he says he died right after that. Again, this is a parable that Jesus is using to teach a point. But he says this word, you fool. And I want us to understand the word fool, right? And I've even highlighted it in this slide so we understand this word fool. It's the word uh, in the original language of throne. and when we think of the word "fool," we think of the word like kind of silly or dumb or funny in a dumb, sort of silly kind of way. My son Will has this expression, and I don't know if he's the only one that thinks this is right or what. But his expression is this: "It's well." Actually, let me ask you this: How many of you heard the expression "smh"? Right? "Smh." What does "smh" mean? Shake my head. So if somebody does something foolish, shake my head. Well, Will has turned it into. SMH my head. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Shake my head, my head? No, it's just SMH. So, but he's like, SMH my head. So that's now become sort of the Satan family expression SMH my head. Shake my head, my shed. Shake my head, my head. So, um, uh, what was it? Friday night, we all went out for dinner. The four of us were eating pizza. But uh, as we we're figuring out what to order, uh, somebody has a coupon. That says you know whatever it is for two pizzas for six ninety nine. Then somebody else has a different coupon that says two pieces for six ninety nine. And Stacy's like, oh, we need to use this one. This one's way better than this one. And Will's like, it's the same coupon. One is electronic, one's on paper. And he goes, S M H my head. <laughs> it's just... Now I share that with you because when Jesus in this parable and God sort of saying this in the parable, God said to him, "You fool." He's not saying, shake my head, man, that's kind of a silly mistake. He's saying, this is a huge thing. This is a big deal. It is this idea. It carries with it the word of condemnation, of big problem. He says, you fool. This is how you spent your money. This is how you organized your money. This is how you used your money. You fool. You've missed the point. You've missed the boat. This is what he says in the next verse, verse 21. He says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So he's saying that this guy was a fool because he was not rich towards God. Now, I want to talk about what this parable means and what it means for us. The first thing I want us to be really clear about is this is this parable, it can be, you could take this parable and rip it out of context and it'd be a really problematic thing. This parable is not teaching don't save money. This parable is not teaching that retirement is sinful or saving is sinful or anything like that. It is not teaching that. What this parable is teaching is about the priority of spending. And that's why this man was a fool. That's why he has this condemnation from God in the middle of this parable uh, where it says, you fool. Because the priorities that you spent money on were out of whack with what God wants. To understand the parable, we need to look um, at kind of, again at the context. If you remember back when Jesus, at the beginning when Jesus told this, he said, um, he said a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions says, be on your guard against covetousness, on, against greed. Well, how do we do that? How do we guard against our lives not being about all the stuff that we have? And Jesus is answering it with this parable, saying, put God first. Be rich towards God. And so the principle that we're going to talk about today or finish up talking about it, is this, is give to God's work first. Give to God's work first. That's what it means to to be rich towards God. Now, we talked a few minutes ago about how we spend money. There's five ways we have that we can spend money. I'll put it up here again. Spend, repay debt, pay taxes, save, and give. And that order up there is typically, not always, but typically how people kind of view their money. Okay, I spend money, and then I'm going to try and pay my debt off. I have to make sure I pay my taxes. I'm going to save if I can, and then if I have any left over, then I'll give. And that's how people tend to prioritize their money. But what this says is be rich toward God or give to God's work first. And so we flip that around and so then give becomes the first thing that we do. It's the first priority of how we spend our money. And then what comes two, three, four, and five? Then because you have God first in your life and because you have God first in your spending, then God orders the rest. You know, something that I've heard uh, kind of money managers talk about, Christian money managers talk about, it. they say, give 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. So that would be ordering of give, save, and then um, and then what comes after, repay debt and so forth. Or some people pay debt first before they save, whatever it is. But when we have give first, then that orders the rest of it. That becomes the new order. Now, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, Okay, this series is supposed to be about financial peace and financial freedom. And I feel like if I give to God first, then I'm going to have more stress in my life, not less stress in my life, because I'll have less money to spend on what it feels like I don't have money to spend on already. Jesus is in your head, because that's exactly what he addresses next. It says this, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. He says, don't worry about those things. If you put me first, if you are rich towards God, then I'll take care of these things. In the next six, eight verses or so, talk about that and some reasons why. And I encourage you, you can read that on your own. And then it comes to verse 31. And it says this, and this verse may sound familiar to you because it, uh, it's also quoted slightly different in the book of Matthew. It says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. In Matthew it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. But the idea is this, is that what we do is we seek God first, we place the priority with God first, and then he takes care of the rest. Be rich towards God. I want to finish up our time in the last five minutes or so and talk about some applications. And so I'm going to give four different applications, and depending on what group you fall into, you'll have a different application from somebody else who is also in here. So here's the first group. If you are um, not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm still trying to figure out this whole God thing, like I believe there's a God, but I'm not sure about the Bible, I'm not sure I really believe that Jesus is the way to salvation, I'm not a follower of Christ, but I'm kind of checking things out. If that's you, here's the application for you. Don't do this, right? Don't give to God first. You do not need to do that. The application for you is focus on the last two principles and see if God's word isn't true of tell your money where to go and learn to be content. And as you do that, I truly believe that you will begin to understand that God's word is true, not just for money, but God's true is for everything, okay? So if that's you, no application for you. Here's the second group of people that I would say, uh, speak to, is if you are a new believer, you're relatively new to following after Christ, maybe a month, maybe a year, or you would just kind of self-identify is I'm just coming into this walking with God sort of thing. I'm just starting to figure this out. Here's the application for you: is start to give regularly whatever amount you want. Just pick an amount that you feel is pretty manageable, not some big lofty goal. Pick an amount that you feel is reasonable for you. That might be five bucks a week. That might be 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month. It might be $30 every pay period, every time you get paid, whatever it is. But figure out a number, a manageable number, and then just get started of giving to God first and make a priority of giving that first before you do anything else with how you're going to spend money for that week or that month or however that two-week pay period, however you do. Now, that's kind of an application, and I that is part of what God says in this passage. I'm going to give you a little bit more, and this is... Matt's wisdom, and I want to be really clear that this is not the Bible says what I'm going to say next. This is Matt's wisdom. You follow me? Nod your head. Otherwise, this would get really ugly if you don't understand this, okay? Everybody with me? Okay. So, if this is you, this is what I would encourage you to do. This is Matt's wisdom, is set it up so that you're giving online a recurring gift, okay? A recurring kind of thing. And here's why, is most of us have the best of intentions with a lot of things spiritually and otherwise, but we're poor on follow-through, right? A lot of us have said, I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to read the Bible five days a week. And we start strong, and then we're poor on follow-through, right? We have great intentions, but poor on follow-through. And so when it comes to giving, I don't want this to be something where you're great intentions, and then poor on follow-through. If you set up online recurring giving, then you set it, and it just keeps going, and it automatically happens. You have to be intentional to not do it, opposed to intentional to do it. And that will help you to get started in the right way. And so, and here's why I want you to understand, like this is Matt's wisdom, not the Bible says. So I don't want anybody leaving here and say, hey, what'd you learn at church? Matt said the Bible said that you have to give online and give recurring gifts. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. So, but I do think that's helpful to get you started in the right direction. Here's the third group. If you have been following Christ for a while, You've been following Christ for a while. You'd say, I'm a mature believer. You've grown up in church your whole life. You've been following after Christ for, you know, two, three, four, five, six years. Whatever, How if you would self-define as I'm pretty mature in following Christ. Here's the application for you. Is begin to work towards giving 10% of your income towards God. That's what God calls a tithe. That's sort of the standard that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament as far as a tithe. Work towards Getting to that point. And I would say that's true whether you are a student and you work at Chick fil A or you make a you know, ton of money or whatever, it's all income's in between. If you're a follower of Christ and you've been maturing in Christ for a while, work towards getting towards 10%. And that may be just you set a goal, you say, whatever, you figure out the percent you're giving now and say, all right, well, next year I'm going to give 1% more. And the year after that, 1% more. And you work towards that. Or it might be that. When you get uh, the next time you get a raise, you say, okay, every time I get a raise, I'm going to put half of that towards giving so that I can get to a place where I'm actually tithing 10% towards God. But again, get on that path. Have a plan about how are you going to get where God wants you to be. Here's the last group you're mature in Christ, you're already tithing, you're already giving 10% to God. And, you're, and, and in your mind, you're going, he's a preacher. Here's what he's going to say. Give more. That's not what I'm going to say, actually. You got to give to get. It's not what I'm going to say. Here's what I would challenge you to do if, you are, if you're at that point where you're giving 10% already, is ask God one question. Ask God this question. What shall I do with the other 90%? What shall I do with the other 90%? And just listen to God. And God may say, I want you to save more. God may say, I want you to give more. God may say, I want you to spend more, help fuel the West Virginia economy. God may say, invest it. I don't know. But ask God, God, how do you want me, us, our family, to spend the other 90, if that's you and you're in that category? I want to close by looking um, at a phrase and a word in the passage we've looked at, really to close out the series as a whole, more so than just this message. Luke 12, 15 says this. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We've looked at that already this morning. And it's the word abundance. In the Greek, it means, it's the translation of this word um, per- periosis, periosis. And I share that with you because there's a verse that a lot of us are very familiar with that I, that I mention from time to time. You may hear it other places from time to time. But it's the verse that Jesus says, and he says, I have come that you might have life and life to the full, or I have come that you might have life abundantly. And you hear that verse a lot. I have come that you might have abundant life. I have come that you might have life to the full. That word that sometimes translated as life to the full or abundantly is the same word per- periosis, right? And I share that with you because those two verses kind of standing next to each other tell us a lot about what is life about. On the one hand, life can be about the abundance of our possessions. On the other hand, life can be about abundant life with Jesus. And the question for us is, which of those two are you pursuing? Do you want the abundance of possessions, or do you want the abundant life that Jesus has to offer? And you see what Jesus says is give to God first. Not because Jesus wants your money, but because what Jesus wants more than anything else is Jesus wants your heart. He wants a heart that is fully surrendered to him. And so because he wants your heart, he says, put your money towards God's work. Because he knows that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also that wherever our heart is, wherever our passion is, we put money towards that. And so God wants our hearts, and because he wants our hearts so much fully surrendered to him, he says, I want your hearts fully surrendered to me, so put your money with me. Be rich towards God. Let's pray together.